If you're thankful for the presence of God, could you just raise your hands right now? Come on, could we just stand all over this place? Lord, we thank you. We thank you. There's such a sweet presence of Almighty God. The creator of the universe is in this room. How many of you believe that right now? I know I say that every week, but how many of you really believe that the creator of the universe is in this room right now? And where he is, all things are possible. Look at your neighbor and say, where he is, all things are possible. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, where God's presence is, God's power is. I'm going to keep saying that until somebody believes it. Amen. I said, where God's presence is, God's power is. He said where two or three would gather in his name, he would show up. That's a promise. And so we're glad that you're here tonight on Wednesday night. We honor Pastor and Sister Neelan, 31 years of loving each other. Amen. Many years of loving this church and this community. How many of you are in love? Praise God. Like five of you. All right. Praise God. I'm going to change my text right now. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm glad that the Lord loves us. Psalms 139, while you're standing. I'll read from the New King James. As you know, we've been in the Psalms. I'm thankful for the opportunity that Pastor has given us to do this series. How many of you have enjoyed the journey through the Psalms? And I, I hope you're not just raising your hand, so we, but I, I've had several people say that they've enjoyed this journey of us teaching through this book. And so we, uh, we want to do more of that and, uh, in the years to come. So we're thankful for this opportunity, and I'm thankful that Pastor, and I'm thankful for the team every week that helps put this together. It's a team effort. Let me say that again. It's a team effort. It's not just Pastor I, but it's a team effort, Sissy and Everyone that helps us, wave your hand, sissy. Maybe somebody doesn't know who you are, and I can't even imagine that, but she does such an incredible job of keeping us straight and uh, helping us out. Psalms 139, one of the most well-known chapters probably in the entire Psalms, if we take certain sections of it out. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my setting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Everybody say all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Most versions, and we'll talk about this in a second, but I want to bring this out. David is saying, before I even thought the thought that produced the word, you knew the thought. No, you got to get a hold of that. I promise it's going to help you out. That's kind of scary, though, at the same time, because some of us might have cussed somebody out in traffic today. I, I don't know, but no, I'm just joking. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me in. Some of your version says you've hemmed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. I just pray right now today that you speak something that will impact us in this moment today. What we have need of today. I know this room is filled with needs, but I'm believing that the same God that was here last Wednesday night that did signs and wonders and miracles as we prayed is the same God that's here tonight. And I believe that since you're here, you are able and willing to do all things that we have need of. If you're thankful for the word of the Lord, put your Bible down and put your hands together and thank the Lord for his word. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm going to sit probably a lot tonight because my, uh, my leg has been giving me trouble, but I'm thankful that I'm better today than I was yesterday. Amen. Hopefully you have a handout there because we're going to go through some of this and some of this we're going to go through quickly because there's a lot here to unpack. There are theologians and scholars, people who study the Bible tell us that there are incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. In other words, there are attributes of God that we can share, right? God is love. Well, we can love as well. Now, do we love like God? No. We don't love like God, but God is love and we can love as well. We can have wisdom. Now we know that God has what? All wisdom, right? But there are things, there are attributes of God. Everybody say attributes of God that only God and God alone has. We want to call those, and they're in your notes, omni attributes. And now if you've been in church for a while, you've heard some of these uh, sayings, but we're going to talk about them today. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's all wise, right? He's omnipotent. That means he is what? All powerful. He is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere. Everybody say he's everywhere. He's not just everywhere, but he's everywhere at all times in time and space. So he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent. And guess what? There's none of those attributes that we're ever going to get, no matter how holy or saved we may feel. But all three of them are mentioned in this particular passage. But the main point of Psalms 139 is this. God is always present. Let me say that again. Say that with me. God is always present. In other words, he's present everywhere. You can't get around God. There's not a place in this universe that God is not. We can't get away from him. His presence is an inescapable environment. In fact, all of creation, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of this new telescope that has gone far beyond where Hubble has gone. Millions and billions of light years it is seeing into the galaxy. Multitudes of galaxies. Guess what? There's not one picture that it produces where God is not God. So there's three things here that we want to break down in this chapter. Number Three things about God's presence. Number one, God's presence is an inescapable fact. In other words, I cannot get away from God's presence. Number two, God's presence is a threat to our personal autonomy. 
Number three, his presence is also a transforming joy. Everybody say a transforming joy. Not just a joy, but a transforming joy. So number one, God's presence is an inescapable fact. Say that with me. God's presence is an inescapable fact. If you look at the first three sections of this, 1 through 6, 7 through 12, 13 through 18, if your Bible has them listed out in sections, it shows how God surrounds us. Verses 1 through 6, we just read it. His knowledge surrounds us. Okay, and you get to verse part two and part uh, verse two and three. There's polarities, and there, in other words, there's differences. There's extremes uh, that uh, David is talking about. In other words, if we're sleeping, if we're active, if we're awake, if we're home, if we're traveling, wherever we're at, God's presence surrounds us, high or low. Then you get into the second part of verses 2 and 3, and it talks about, if you look there in your Bible, he understands or he discerns my thoughts. Verse 2, he is acquainted or he is familiar with what? All of my ways, which means my behaviors. In other words, he knows everything on the inside and the outside of all of us. When we look at our lives, even our own lives sometimes, and we look at the lives of others, we only see the outside. But God doesn't just see the outside. God sees the inside. God sees the outside and the inside all at the same time. That means that he is all-knowing. David said, and we said it a while ago, that in verse 4, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He goes so far not to just say before I do something, think something, or say something, before I know that I'm even going to do it. No, he says, you know it completely. You and I have a tendency to fall into the mistake of saying that God can see the future or for see or foretell the future. That's talking, though, as if God is trapped in the present with you and I. Ladies and gentlemen, God's not trapped in the present with you and I. God's not in the present. I put this in your notes because it's so important for us to see this. God's not in the present, but all moments of time and space are present to God. Now, you got to get a hold of this now. All moments are equally related to God. He sees everything, ladies and gentlemen, hear me very carefully, past, present, and future all at once. He's not just looking into the future. He's already in the future. And what, what that means is not only he knows who you are totally because he sees your past, he sees your present, and he sees your future. He sees everything about you, and he still has the endless capacity to love you. Now, you're looking at today and maybe tomorrow. God says, no, I know your days. I know your breaths. I know your moments. And I still have the endless capacity to love you. I I know everything about your past. I know all of your thoughts. I, I know all of your desires. I know all of your letdowns. I know all of your sins. I know all of your failures. I know all of your hiccups and circumstances. But I still love you. And I'm here today with you in this moment. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan like I am, J.R. Tolkien wrote a tremendous statement in the end of the Lord of the Rings. There's a character there with the kings who, uh, he is a human king and he's laying down in the grave. And he writes these great lines. And everyone who looked upon him at this moment did so in wonder. 
For the grace of his youth, the valor of his manhood, and the wisdom and the majesty of his age were all blended together in this moment. Long there he lay a vision of the splendor of the kings of men in a glory undimmed from the breaking of the world. At that moment, Tolkien says, the grace of his youth, the valor of his manhood, and the wisdom and the majesty of his age were all put together. This is how God sees us. God sees everything. He doesn't see just a little section or a little slice of us. He sees you as you're young. He sees you as you're old. He sees you as whatever you are, but he sees every part of you. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, no one knows you like God knows you. God knows you infinitely more than you know yourself. So we are surrounded by God's knowledge. Everybody say, by God's knowledge. Then David says, then the poet talking about, here's David here. He's talking about that God is, he surrounds us by his presence. Again, he gives us these polarities. He gives us these extremes. He says, if I go up into the heavens, that's the stars. Okay. If I go down in the bed, in the depths. Now that word there is shale. It's not hell like we think of Dante's Inferno, place of damnation. No, it's actually the place of the dead, the depths of the earth, the grave. David says, if I go all the way to the heavens, to the stars, if I go all the way to the depth, to the depths of the earth, he said, you are there. He says, if I take on the wings of the dawn, what does that mean? If I'm at the utter eastern part where the sun is coming up, if I go to the far side of the sea, you have to understand where is Israel. Israel is on the Mediterranean. The far side of the sea is as far west as Israel could imagine. All the way on the other side of the Mediterranean. If I go as far east as I possibly go and as far west, you're there. You are everywhere. Then he says something very important. Verse 7. Look at it. Look at it in your Bible. Where can I flee from your presence? When you see the word presence, most of the time in the Old Testament, it is actually the Hebrew word for face, God's face. What this is saying is that everywhere that David goes, God's face is there with David. This gets something across to me that is absolutely amazing. Because here's what we think. We all believe, most of us raised our hand, and we talked about this at the very beginning, that God is at all places at all times, right? He is omnipresent, okay? And we think about God being that vast. But when I thought about that as a young man, as a little boy, I was thinking that God was so big that maybe the earth was hanging out around his big toe, right? Does, does that make sense? That God was so big, I'm thinking that God is this, this giant creation, or maybe God is like a gas. Like if we, if we put a, a gas that had particles in this room and it filled all of this entire room, this is kind of how our thought process is about God being at all places at all times. But that's not what we mean when we say God is everywhere. He is not stretched out and extended past his limit. No. All of God is all everywhere at one time. God is completely present at every point in space. 
Not only are we learning here that God is present at every point in time, but God is present in every point in space. Hear me very carefully. The Jewish scholars believed that everywhere that you went in the universe, you were literally face to face with God. I hope you can get a hold of this. You are literally face to face with God. What does that mean to us, David? That means that there is no place that we will ever find ourselves in this life where God is not with us and he is in tune with what's going on in our life. We are literally face to face. Everybody say face to face. Now, if you think about that for a second, that's kind of scary. Because how many of you have been face-to-face with somebody lately? Right? It's kind of an intimate place. Okay? And so literally, we're face-to-face with the presence of God. Literally, we're face-to-face with this God that knows every single thing about us. First of all, we're surrounded by his knowledge. Then we're surrounded by his presence. Then thirdly, we're surrounded by his power. 13 through 18, verse 13. For you created my innermost being. That's my soul. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's my body. It's saying both your body and your soul are created by God, and it is upheld by God. If you look at verse 16, it says, all the days or ordained for me was written in your book before one of them came to be. Ladies and gentlemen, all of your days have been ordained by God. Not only does he create, not only does he ordain, not only does he sustain and uphold you in your soul and your body, keeping you together at every second, keeping your molecules together, but he also creates, he ordains, and he sustains, uh, and he uphold. Holds your history. Ladies and gentlemen, there is not one moment in your life that God is not interested in. Oh, I I hope that you can get a hold of this. Uh, There's not one moment in your life uh, where God is not in your life. uh, That God is far from you. Yes, it may seem like he's silent. Yes, it may seem like he's far away. But he's not far away. Uh, Adam, where are you? Uh, He wanted Adam to know where he was at. God was exactly the same place that he was always. Uh, And ladies and gentlemen, God is exactly the same place that he's always always been uh, he has always been in our life from the very moment even before we were born God has been with us he is ordaining us he is ordering our steps uh, he is with us uh, I take great hope in that ladies and gentlemen uh, I said I take great hope in that uh, I may not understand anything about tomorrow or next month uh, or next year uh, but I know the God uh, that holds it all in his hands At the one end of human life is conception. He said, in my mother's womb, you knew me. You're knitting me together. What about the other end? At the very end of your life when you're old and you feel like, ah, why am I even here anymore? That moment in your life, those moments, those years are ordained. Every single day that you're on this earth is ordained. Every single day on this earth is filled with purpose. God has a plan and a reason. Here's what David is saying. From conception to your last breath, God is in charge. 
He created you. He ordained you. He sustained you. He upholds you by the word of his power. His power overshadows every absolutely every second of your life. There's not one time in your life where God is absent from your life. Here's one of the, the implications of the presence of God. The reason that we believe in the sanctity of life from womb to tomb, the end of life. Why? Because we're putting ourselves in the place of God if we say that the preborn and the aged don't matter. John the Baptist and Jeremiah were called by God and they were filled with the Holy Ghost in their mother's womb. Are you hearing me? I said they were filled by God with their, in their mother's womb. When you're in your mother's womb, you're who you are. You are Imago Dei, the image of God. But you're at the other end of your life and you feel old and useless and worn out and think, why am I even here? No, that's not your place to think that. God is in control of your life. You still have purpose. I don't care if you're 70, 80, 90, or 105, ladies and gentlemen, You still have purpose. God has ordained your days. And you're still under the shadow of God. And his presence and his power. God's presence is an inescapable fact in every aspect and dimension of life. God's presence, number two, God's presence is a threat to our personal autonomy. What does that mean? Because here, think about this. David is not just a theologian. He's not just a scholar. He's what? He's a poet. In other words, his heart is responding to the revelation that God has given him. And so that's what we see the result of when we study the Psalms. David, we see the presence of God as not just an inescapable fact, but to the human heart, I say to the human heart, it can be a radical threat. A threat to David and ours perceived autonomy. David actually goes through a journey. We see it here. There's at least three stages to this journey. First, the first stage is what he says in verse six. He says what? Such knowledge. Everyone say that with me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And we look at that and we've talked about that. We've preached that. We've, we've taught that. And it looks positive because in the English version of this, it does come across as positive. Literally it says, it's too wonderful for me is this knowledge. That's literally what it says. It's a man who is saying, guess what? This is too much for me to understand. This is overwhelming to me. This is beyond me. I don't even get this. And so we can see that maybe in David's life, there's something creeping in here that's not positive, but negative. In other words, David may be saying, hey, I'm reeling in my senses and my understand. I'm overwhelmed, right, by the knowledge that God knows so much about me. Have you thought about that? That the fact that God knows every single thing that you thought in the last 24 hours? That's scary, Right? He knows every single thought that you've had in all of the years that you've existed on this earth. He knows every single thought that you're going to have before it even comes to pass. David is overwhelmed by this knowledge. Look at verse 5. He said, you've hedged me in. You've hemmed me in. This all-present, all-powerful God, this all-knowing God, when you start to realize this, it starts to feel like it's a heavy blanket that David is suffering under. He's suffocating under. Then very quickly, from 5 to 6, which says, I, I'm kind of threatened by this. I feel like you're hemming me in. I feel smothered. Verse 7, where can I go? 
right? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? All of a sudden, David goes into another stage. It sounds almost like the guy named Jonah. How many of you heard the guy named Jonah, right? Jonah wanted to flee from the presence of God as well. And so here is David saying, where can I flee from the presence of God? Where can I flee from the face of God? Where can I flee from this incredible understanding that God knows everything about me? And then just like Jonah, this out and out rebellion that I don't want to have anything to do with the presence of God. So now David has moved from sort of suffocating from the idea of God everywhere to saying, hey, maybe I could just use a timeout. A break. David was an ancient man, and ancient men and women did not expect to live their lives just the way that they wanted to live their lives. And most of them knew their tribe, their family, was going to dictate a lot of how they lived. Yet even David can hardly understand the idea of the God who is completely all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. But ladies and gentlemen, if David cannot understand it, how about us? Modern people have taken a perfectly good idea. The idea of us in our Western mindset of self-determination, the democratic idea of we could do it our way, right? All of us know that. The political assumption that we're in absolute control of all things. We could choose our leaders. We could choose our government. Democratic political self-determination is a great idea. But let me tell you, in the West, especially in America, we have elevated to an ultimate spiritual reality. And we feel like that I have to be me. I have to live my way. I have to live as I decide what's right or wrong. I don't have the freedom. If I don't have the freedom to live as I want to live, then my life is meaningless. In other words, I'm going to live my own truth. How many of you heard that before? I'm going to live my own truth. I'm going to live my own way. And ladies and gentlemen, if this is your understanding of life, then the omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, powerful God is an absolute nightmare to the autonomy that we think that we have. The French philosopher Sartre said in his writing, Being and Nothingless, he said, "If there," and he was an atheist, he said, if there is a God, we can't be free. If there's a God who sees everything, then we're dehumanized. If there's a God who controls everything, that's unconscionable. If we're free, then there's no God. And if there's a God, then we're not free. That's the reason that David, Jonah, and so many of us in modernity want to escape from this ever-present God. We don't want to be in a place where we know that there is a God that completely knows everything about us. Amen? And we don't want to believe that he exists. So if we could just push it out of our mind and we can say that with that God does not exist, that I'm free to live any way that I want to live. Of course, if the meaning of life is to live any way that you want, then if there's a God like this, then you can't live any way that you want to live. How do we get away? I don't know how David was trying to get away, but the way that we try to get away is we don't believe in him, and we don't believe that there's a God like that. Many people don't even understand that the God that they believe in is a God that we have compartmentalized. We we say that um, the, the God of our founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson, that they believed in God. The only challenge with that is they only believed in part of God. 
They were what's called deists. In other words, they believe that God created the universe and he just left it to be. And he's not interested in our everyday life. I don't see that in Psalms 139, ladies and gentlemen. They believe that God just created us, left us, turned the clock. And when the clock runs out, whatever happens, happens. There is no eternity. But that's not the definition that David gives us in Psalms 139. He has an understanding that God knows every single thing about him. And it is now he is in a place where he says, if I go there, you're still there. If I go down there, you're still there. If I go to the east, you're still there. If I go to the west, you're still there. And then all of a sudden, David has an understanding that all, and not just are you there, but you're hand, your righteous right hand upholds me. Wow. All of a sudden, David's language has shifted. He's saying, I want to be free. I want to go, but your hand guides me and your right hand upholds me. What does that mean? The right hand of God means the power of God. A hand that guides us so that you don't get lost. A hand that holds you so you don't fall down. So David now has it. I want to be free. I want to get away. I don't want to be hemmed in by this idea of a God that knows everything about me. Yet, I don't want your hand to let go of me. I want that hand to lead me and guide me. You see, the presence of God is an inescapable fact. But if it's an inescapable fact, it is a radical threat to our human autonomy because we want to be our own king's masters and lords. Many people say, well, freedom is not having a master. No, ladies and gentlemen, freedom is having the right master because you're always going to serve something. Let me say that again. Freedom's not having the, uh, no master because you always have a master. It'll either be sin or it'll be God. As Brother Bob Dylan said, everybody's going to worship something. Amen. So the freedom is not having no master. It's having the right master. We have the only master whose mercies are fresh and new every single day. I said, we have the only master who is Jesus Christ, whose mercies are fresh and new every day. He knows everything about us, yet he still has the endless capacity to love us in the moments when we feel the most unlovable, when we feel like we're so far away from God, and God is so far away from us. Anybody? Anybody felt that way today, yesterday, or a couple days from now? Come on, I'm ta- I want to talk to somebody who's been going through some stuff, and you've just thrown your hands up and say, God, I don't know where you're at in the middle of this, but I read your word, and your word says you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. There's not one moment in time where you've walked away from me. There's been many of times in my life where I've wanted to throw in the towel, where I've been the one who has tried to walk away from God, but God has never walked away from me. In fact, God is pursuing me. If you're here today or you're watching online and you feel like you're far away from God, you're not far away from God. God is at the, he is right there beside you. He's not left you. You've tried to move away. You've tried to walk away. God has been right Right behind you, his mercy and truth are chasing you down. There's nothing that he won't do to show you that he loves you. Nothing that he won't do 
Say, David, why are you so excited? I'm, I'm excited because we have to get this understanding, the understanding of a God who is always there. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't be all the time on Sunday morning. We can't be here every Wednesday night, right? We can't have pastor on the speed dial and pray for us all the time. There comes times in our lives uh, when we get to the very bottom of what we call a life and a pit and we say, God, where are you? And I've come to remind you from Psalms 1. 139. He's in the pit with you. I said he's in the pit with you. I don't know what you're going through, but God knows what you're going through. You say, David, I desperately need him to show up. I understand. I desperately need him to show up as well. But honey, don't give up yet. Don't throw in the towel yet. Who am I preaching to tonight that you're right on the edge of wondering if God has forsaken you? No, I say it again. He can't forsake you. I said he can't forsake you. It is his nature he won't let go of you oh oh can we get a hold of this tonight I said can we get a hold of this tonight the third thing that we've got to understand is God's presence is a transforming joy I wish I had time to finish this, but we got a verse 11 through 12. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light come, become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark. Listen to what David says. He says, even in my darkness, I understand that it's not dark to you. Mm. Everybody ever feel like you've been in the dark with God? Even in your dark places. It's not dark to God. The night will shine with clarity like the day. For the darkness that you're in is a light to God. In the night, in the, in the Psalms, what is this darkness? Many times in the Psalms, it's suffering, danger, the possibility of death, terrible disease, darkness, times of terror. And when you plunge into the dark, you feel like I am lost. But no, why? Remember what we said. No, we're serving a God you can't get rid of. No, you didn't hear me. I said, you're serving a God that you literally can't get rid of. Why? He feels all time and space. So even in the middle of your darkness, and so instead of it being a threat, No, it's not a threat any longer. Why? Because God can't lose himself in the dark. And if he can't lose himself, and he surely can't lose you and I. No, because his darkness is light. Even when I'm in my darkness, I'm in a safe place. Why? Because the ever-present, all-powerful God has me by the hand. And even in my darkness, he's going to turn on the light. I said, even in my dark times, God is going to turn on the light. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast. Is the sum of them. The word precious is just like you think it would be. It's a word that usually means precious jewels. He's saying now the idea of your knowledge and your presence is so rich to me. It's rich to me. 
The very end of this journey, he's getting more and more. David's increasing his excitement, his understanding about what God is trying to do in his life. And he's breaking through and he's seeing now more and more. It's a place of transforming joy. Verse 18, he says, when I wake, I am still with you. Everybody say, I'm still with you. And it seems like the climax of David's journey in the middle of this text. But many commentators, especially people who are experts in Hebrew poetry, say that there's something just quite not right here in this reading. Why would this be the climax? Back in the very beginning of the psalm, when I sleep or wake up, God's already there. He's already said that. Why would he build up to a place where he's actually finally saying, because God is ever present with me, even when I wake, he will be there. Why would this be the climax if he's talking about waking up from his sleep? Because it's probably not. In chapter 17 of Psalms, he says, And I, in righteousness, will see your face. Talking about the face of God. When I awake. What is he awaking from in chapter 17? He's awakening from death. He's saying, when I awake from my death, I will see the face of God. And I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Do you know what David is saying? David has moved so far from being threatened by this God who's always around him. He is saying, I have a God who is impossible to lose, who's with me, who's always present with me, who has me by the hand and who will never let me go. This God who is so present with me and he grips me so strongly in his arms that even if I die, he will be with me. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the ultimate understanding of the theological idea of omnipresence. That God is going to be with us. Remember what we said? He's ordained our days from conception to death. He's going to be with me through death. And he's going to wake me up. And in my resurrected body, everybody say my resurrected body, I am going to see him. Why is this important to understand? Because it's it gives us hope that God is sovereignly moving on our behalf at all times and in all places for us. And he is, there's not one place and moment or degree in our life that God is not interested in. He has measured our breath and he has measured our moments. Every thought he has measured. And for some of us, that feels like, oh, that's kind of scary. But we have to understand the sovereignty of God is not something that we should be afraid of. The sovereignty of God is something that should bring us comfort. Why is that? The sovereignty of God says God knows exactly what he's doing at all times, even when I don't understand it. And in the end, I am going to realize that God worked it out all for my good and for his glory. So there's not one moment or time or day when I lay my head down tonight, my mind could be filled with all of the things that I don't have the capacity to understand, but I can still rest in sweet peace because I believe that the God of Psalms 139 is with me in those moments. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody here. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. 
We have to see this, that God is not some disinterested grandpa living in the attic and we're living in the basement. And he doesn't care. No, God is face to face with you in your darkest, most torturous moments. I don't have time to finish, but I want to go to Mark 5 as the musicians come. Mark 5, Jesus was brought into a room. There was a little girl there that was dead. How many of you know you've heard this story before? Everywhere around him was weeping. She's dead. She's gone. There she lay. The deep darkness of death. Literally, she had made her bed in Sheol. Hell. The place of the dead. Just like we read in Psalms 139. But here is Jesus, the God of the universe, wrapped in flesh. And he steps into a room of a child that he knows everything about her life. And he takes her by the hand and he says, Talitha, it's not her name, but it was a common endearment. It just means little one. Something that mothers and fathers would call their children. He said, Talitha kum, which means arise and get up. Just like you would sit on the edge of your bed and your child is not wanting to go to school. Say, baby, get up. And that's just how gentle was Jesus was. He says, sweetheart, little one, it's time to get up. He takes her by the hand. The God of the universe reaches his hand into the depths of death and says, nope, it's not your time. Get up. Death, the most horrific foe of humanity. Our worst adversary. And God, Jesus, reaches down into death. And with the tug of his hand, he says, rise. Ladies and gentlemen, just like David says, if he has me by the hand, then I know there's no place that I can go where God doesn't go with me. What are you facing here tonight as we close? You can ride, you can stand. What are you facing? What are you going through? Whatever you're facing tonight, the God that you serve is face to face. He's the only one that can overcome death. And that means if he's overcome death, then he can overcome every other situation. Have you thought, have you thought about that? I know we've got to go. We're, we're dismissing. 
He's already conquered death. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He rose victorious. So with the power of that resurrection, the glorious God that you serve tonight, the God that you have felt in this room that's all present and all powerful, he's here to minister. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand and say, Lord, I need you. Could you just let that be your cry right now? Lord, I just, right now. Uh, <laughs> there may be two or three people here, but I'm, I really feel like the Lord has something for somebody. You're in a place that is so inescapable. And I've come to remind you, the Lord has come to remind you, not David Grigsby, that he has not left you. Any strength that you feel in your life is only because of God. Any strength that you feel right now in this moment is only because of God. Could you just reach over right now and just, if you feel like I put your hand on that shoulder next to you, if you're standing next to someone, tangible expression of God's presence and power is in this room. Somebody's leaving with an answer tonight. It's a simple Wednesday night Bible study, I know. But somebody's leaving with an answer tonight, right now. Somebody's leaving encouraged tonight, right now. God hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's not turned his back on you. He's with you right now. He's with you. It looks dark, I know, but darkness is his light. It looks impossible, but God, there's nothing impossible. Come on, could you just cry out right now? Could you pray for that person you're standing next to? God, I pray for the tangible expression of your power and your presence right now, Lord. I thank you for moving. I thank you for moving. Yes, Lord. You're all powerful. You're all present. You're all knowing and you know everything about me, God. You know every need that we have, Lord, in this room. I thank you for meeting it, Lord, right now. Hallelujah.